2: Well, the recruiting success has been pretty abundant for Dan Lanning and company, meaning the immediate future for Oregon football appears to be in pretty good shape. But what about the long-term future? We'll discuss today with Mark Rogers, voice of college football on YouTube, on the show for the first time today. Here we go.
1: You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play by play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching this show, which is brought to you today by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And those of you on YouTube can see, I am not alone today. I'm joined for the first time. By Mark Rogers. He is at Mark Rogers TV on Twitter. He is the voice of CFB on YouTube and podcasting platforms. I assume I, I take in your show on uh, on YouTube, so I assume you're on podcast. But I, I never know. I'll defer to you there, Mark. But uh, it's great to have you on the show, and we will get into uh, all of the conference realignment talk today.
0: Spencer, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to be here talking some ball as uh, we are concluding talking season, getting into uh, fall camp here pretty soon. But, uh, yeah, you can catch me on all the major audio platforms. Just uh, search Mark Rogers TV or The Voice of College Football.
2: Well, it's great to have you on. Let's hop into it. Uh, Let's backtrack a little bit to a completely different world of about three weeks ago when uh, this realignment news had not hit the... uh, hit the airwaves and we didn't know and everything was just uh, proceeding along and we were following recruiting this summer we were doing season preview stuff and talking about rosters and player development and quarterbacks and the transfer portal and NI on the transfer portal have taken like five back seats in the headlines to all of this conference uh, realignment news so when that first came out Mark what was your uh, initial reaction as somebody who covers the Pac-12
0: pretty regularly Well, to take us back 12 months, my initial reaction to Oklahoma, Texas is, okay, this is really good for content. It's really good for storylines. It's great discussion. It's great conversation. But is it good for college football? And my answer is no, it's not good for college football. I think that this sport is Americana, unlike other sports, professional sports. And I think much of what we root for in college football is um, those regions, those cultures where the football is played. There's a certain culture to the Pac-12. There's a certain culture to the SEC, the Big Ten, et cetera, that is tied to that region, the way people live in that region, what their values are, what food they like to eat, how they live, what music they like, all that's reflected on College Football Saturdays uh, but when you suddenly have the Big Ten extending from coast to coast and even prior to that, um, you know, the planes, the Dust Bowl of the Big 12 moving into the SEC with Missouri and Texas A&M and all the changes that have existed and, and have occurred over the last 10 to 12 years. And then it just continues to get amplified. I think that fabric of college football, that regionality that makes it so interesting for a team from the big 10 to play the PAC 12 in the Rose bowl or a big 10 power to play the sec is kind of getting stretched and pretty much torn apart at this point. Do you think that
2: it'll ever, I mean, obviously the, the, the realignment and the merging of conferences and teams and moving around and such, do, do you think that it'll ever just feel completely different or, you know, to what uh, what you're talking about is something that I feel as well. Like I said recently on the show, I consume college football as a regional product first and then as a national one. I enjoy it as a national product. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I want to know how, you know, a given Oregon game is going to affect their standing in the national college football landscape. But do you think that for, for people like us who have been fans of college football you know, most of our lives and have that, that ingrained feeling of what college football feels like and what it's like to root for a team on, on a Saturday, do you think that that's something that it is just going to start to feel really different? Or do you think it'll be there uh, you know, internally for us and it'll just look different?
0: Well, I, I do think that uh, the next several moves that are being rumored, which you would have to think that some of it is going to take place at some point, whether that be a year from now or three to five years from now, is going to continue to tear at that fabric. But maybe there's something off in the distance to where if this whole SEC Big Ten power struggle narrative of two super conferences really comes to fruition to the nth degree, then it does become the NFC and the AFC, but it kind of goes back to the originality of, well, we're going to divide the AFC slash SEC or the Big Ten, the NFC into divisions in, in, that are going to look much like what we should have and what we've had in the past where that, that regional focus is back uh, in play, but um, you know we still have great rivalries, and still most of the matchups are intact. It's just the the broad scope of these these regions, and then obviously the larger the conferences become, the less teams are able to play on a regular basis. It to me illegitimizes the uh, conference championship to a certain extent because when you've got 14 teams in a league and, and now we're up to 16 and they play eight games where you're missing seven opponents in the league, then the discrepancy of fairness of scheduling really comes into play. And uh, so I kind of question that as well. I have not thought about that with regards to
2: putting a, you know, a 16 or 20 or 24, whatever, you know, how, however big these conferences could get because you'd be looking at I mean the NFL's got what 30 32 teams so those are you know 16 a piece and I, I think they do a better job than college football notably and I, I don't want the, the I don't want college football to become the NFL from a scheduling perspective I would love it if they adopted a similar sort of mindset to where they did it on a more annualized basis because you could create a bunch of you know really interesting matchups but I think the reason that the, the schedule wouldn't get uh, or it would get more attention in in college if you had a 16 team conference than it does in the NFL is because in the NFL you don't have rankings you just have records and teams and so I think it's not as easy for people to kind of visualize and capture that component of looking at a schedule and saying wait we, we have four top 25 preseason teams on on our schedule here and this team only he, over here only has two like how how is that fair whereas in the NFL it's just a bunch of teams. And because quick turnarounds happen a lot easier in the NFL than college football, it's more likely that a team you think is going to be, ah, just okay, ends up being pretty good. And so that win, you know, maybe looks better than you thought going going into the season. And certainly not everybody lives up to their preseason hype in, in college football, but I, I hadn't thought about that, that component before. I think it'd be a, a new thing for people to you know, harp in on and uh, rail against the conferences about, and it, it's pretty easy to find those sorts of things. Frankly, for fans, they haven't struggled to do it so far. But I, 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 think that's, I think that's a really interesting, interesting point. But it also, on the scheduling note, Mark allows for some opportunities doesn't it? Because if you're going into a new age, I think there's kind of the mindset of, well, we're not going to do divisions the way we did in the past because having a North and South division where like the PAC 12 is doing away with that for, you know, at least the next two years. And we'll see if it hangs around a discussion. We'll get to uh, a bit later in the show. But I think it allows you to kind of reset how you approach it from a conference perspective. And you could try and, you know, set up the set up these matchups a little bit better. Like, I understand what you're saying about the, the downside of it, of like, well, their schedule is way easier than ours, but for us as fans, there could be some upside too, couldn't there?
0: So what would the upside be? Yeah, you're you're on the upside if your team has a much easier schedule. So this kind of slapped me in the face at various times, and now I rail on the scheduling on a regular basis because I think the scheduling should be taken out of the hands of the individual teams from a non-conference standpoint, I think the individual teams and programs should not be scheduling their own games. And then the conferences need to be wiser in scheduling their games. So this came to light, most notably, the one example that hits me, and there are many, is one year I looked at the SEC schedule. And this was about close to 10 years ago when Alabama and LSU were the two best teams in the conference. And even if they weren't, it doesn't matter. I'm not looking to load up difficult schedules on the best programs and easy schedules. I'm not looking for an NFL formula that's weighted uh, based on record. I, I believe in equity and fairness. Vanderbilt should have just as difficult schedule as Alabama. They play in the same conference. They're competing for the same thing. Uh, but one year LSU played, the – Georgia, so you, you know the format. They they play everyone in the same division, so they play each other. Alabama, LSU, and then they play everyone the other five teams in the division. The only difference in the schedule is there are two crossover games in the other division. So LSU was playing Georgia and Florida that particular year, and those two teams were seven and one the previous season. So they're playing two teams that went fourteen and two the previous year, and Alabama was playing Kentucky and Vanderbilt, and the previous year they were combined one in fifteen. In the conference. So you have two teams competing for a division championship that play six of eight games exactly the same, but the two differences one team gets to play two teams that are deplorable, and the other team is playing two teams that are two of the top five or ten teams in the country. Now, how is that fair? And and I've got a litany of examples like that. Yeah, I hadn't
2: thought about it like that before I, I think the upside that I was talking about it, it can come into play for a, a football team but for us as fans I, I think the upside for scheduling you know ensuring that this team plays that team you know like I- ensuring that Alabama and Georgia play every year in, in the SEC because that's a big time matchup that everybody's going to watch even outside of of those two particular fan bases, Um, but I I think you make a lot of interesting points about, uh, about scheduling. If you want to bet anything with regards to college football scheduling, like wins and loss totals or anything of the sorts, betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events on the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including major league baseball, go Mariners. I don't know if you saw, they've won 14 in a row. Just good vibes up in seattle right now but every league is there nfl nba nhl combat sports esports even golf my personal favorite head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action happening today bet online is where the game starts
1: the ncaa tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
2: So the scheduling thing is is fascinating, but before you can you can get to that discussion even you have to figure out who's in who's in what conference right now. And I want to bring this back to Oregon a little bit. When when I saw USC and UCLA, UCLA were leaving, I thought, well, is Oregon going to try and follow? Are they going to try and stay put? Is the I mean, there've been rumors about the Big Twelve. Phil Knight apparently wants the Big Ten, but the Big Ten isn't adding any more teams right now. They're they're seemingly content to stand pat with, with what they've got. So with, with the conferences of the Big 12 and Pac-12 having just cut off their talks about a potential full conference merger, what do you see as the next potential move for Oregon? Because I don't think it rules out the possibility the Big 12 could try and poach some schools away from the Pac-12 like Oregon and Utah, Washington would be in that mix as well with the Arizona schools and Colorado are the ones that have been reported. What do you think Oregon's next move could be?
0: Well, I do think that Oregon is the gem of the teams that are in susceptible conferences. I think they are the prize. So we know that the big 10 wants Notre Dame, Notre Dame's doing everything it can seemingly to stay independent, looking for alternate TV deals to try to get in that 75 to hundred million dollar range to stay competitive in regards to TV revenue. Um, what I'm trying to interpret is while the big 10 is negotiating with Notre Dame or maybe pleading with Notre Dame, uh, they're putting this stop sign in the face of Oregon and Washington. Now I can only interpret that one way and that's uh, that if they truly wanted Oregon and Washington, obviously they would have accepted the application we, the process would go through or they would have clearly just denied them and not given them this, uh, let's hang on and we'll get back to you at some point. I got to think that maybe Notre Dame's having some type of say in what the rest of the conference looks like, uh, who that uh, partner with them would be, whether they would favor a Stanford joining with them, let's say, for example. That's the only conclusion I can come to of why the Big Ten would would put um, Oregon and Washington on a hold. But meanwhile, Spencer, well, if I'm the Big 12, I'm rolling out the red carpet for Oregon in particular, but Oregon, Washington, because that's, you know, you like to bring in these teams that are not connected to your, your geographic region in pairs, uh, to, for, for a number of reasons that are obvious. Uh, and, and I would roll out the red carpet for Oregon and Washington to say, Hey, you're being shunned. Do you want to, even if the big 10 eventually allows you to join, look at how they've treated you, uh, to start out this relationship, you, you may be a second class citizen in this conference as opposed to let's roll out the red carpet and uh, with y- your football brand, Washington, we can renegotiate and have a, a stronger football brand as a conference and, and do much better. So, so I think the Big 12 uh, should have its number one target planted on Eugene would you put Utah
2: in there as a high priority for the big 12 as well? Because that's a program right now in a decently sized market in Salt Lake city, not huge, but as a football program, it's a very big deal up there. I live in the Southern part of Utah and I've been to that area. I know Utah football is very, very popular up there. They sell out rice Eccles stadium every single time. I think they have like 70 straight sellouts or something like it's, it's a very rabid, passionate fan base, And that's a program right now with Kyle Whittingham that feels like it's on the upswing. And so the the six schools have been kind of tied to this potential breakoff, right? Which would just doom the Pac-12 conference altogether. And I don't know if it would survive unless they did a merger with everybody else in the Mountain West. I I guess that's how it would look. But that, to me, feels like a a situation where if you're the Big 12 and you really want to go after aggressive expansion and they said no to the Pac-12 it seems to me, because they didn't want to take on everybody. They didn't want Washington state, Oregon state, Stanford, and Cal. They just are, are kind of looking for who they perceive as the most valuable schools there. And of the six, Utah, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, the Arizona schools, I could see a situation where maybe it's not all six, but maybe it's two, maybe it's four, maybe somehow it's three. If they add a, another random school, but typically this is all done in even numbers, I feel like that's, you know, uh, I I agree with you that of the Pac-10 schools that are remaining, Oregon would be the strongest football brand to bring in there. But I feel like Utah is a program that right now, if you add it to your conference, would would bring a lot to the table.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely like you on posting videos and and seemingly can't post enough videos because people can't get enough of this expansion talk. So it's fascinating. I, I find
2: it fascinating. It I had, I had someone send me a message the other day asking a question about it, like, Hey, I know you're probably tired of this. And I came back with like, dude, I'm not tired of this. I can't. Every time you go down an Avenue on all this stuff, you think of like three other branches yep. about how things could play out because some of it's speculative. You mix that in with reporting and there's just so
0: many ways this thing can go. Yeah, because every time you go down a path, to your point, okay, add Oregon-Washington to the Big Ten, okay? How are you going to divide the conference, the divisions, the scheduling? Okay, let's go down that path. Oh, if it's not Oregon-Washington, if it's Notre Dame-Stanford, boom, they're on the Big Ten. Okay, how do we attack that? So back to the the Big 12 situation. So I consider the priorities, and, and there are various facets to that. We're football guys. We're talking football But we've got obviously market sizes that you alluded to in Salt Lake City that obviously equal TV dollars, uh, digital hits, all that, because they're rear ends in the seats. And by extension, they're, you know, people in front of their phones and laptops or TVs. And then there's also an academic component that we've addressed on. My channel a number of times not because i know anything about it but because i bring people on that know something about it we'll leave that alone to a certain extent which makes kind of stanford the alabama of you know academics yeah yeah. you're going to go that route and we know that that's important to the big 10 to a certain extent maybe not so much to the to the big 12 but just to kind of prioritize the pairings as i see them and i i do agree with you that that, that that's been the history of expansion has been these pairings of Missouri and Texas A&M, Rutgers, Maryland, et cetera, is that Oregon and Washington would be my priority and Colorado, Utah, because of Utah, would be my priority. And secondly, and then I go to Arizona, Arizona State. And if I can bring in all six, even though that seems kind of like a enormous conference, I think maybe the Big 12's opportunity here. Is while they can't match the Big Ten or the SEC in terms of elite programs, you know, kind of kill it with quantity and continue to make yourself relevant because you're going to have what are they going to be up to at that point? 18. I think if they added
2: four. If they if they added four, I think that or if they added two, I think that'd be 18. I don't know why they call it the Big 12. I guess Big 14 or Big 16 doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> I, well, like well, the, they the, with 12, the I mean, I mean course, the pack. But- Yeah, the Pac went from the Pac-8 to the Pac-10 to the Pac-12, and then the Big 12 and the Big 10 add more than that number in their conference, and they're still the Big 10 and the Big 12. I don't entirely... I I don't entirely get that. I guess it's because they both have big in their name. So if one changes, then you'd be like, then people would be asking like, wait, the big 18, is that the former big 10 or is that the former big 12? And it would just be, it would just be kind of a mess like that. I guess
0: I let let them off the hook, especially the big 10, just considering, okay, it's a brand name at this point. It hasn't been 10 since 1991. So, you know, it's, it's a brand name and they could be 24 and it's always going to be the big 10. Um, So, yeah, the the Salt Lake City example, I think, is a good one because I think in addition to just looking at market size and Salt Lake City's around 30, is it's always also important, and this is a feather in Utah's cap, that it's a non-NFL city market size. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's crazy about Utah football and BYU. But, and that's uh, different
2: different from Seattle, which has you know got a lot of rabid football fans and sports fans in general for sure. But you're dividing the attention between Washington and and the Seahawks, and so yeah. it, it's not that Seattle is an appealing market in that sense. But that is a consideration when you're talking about like, well, what sort of fan base are we adding here? Salt Lake City, it's all Utes. And you're not dividing it fifty fifty. No, no, <laughs> no. Seattle? You 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 most definitely are not. I get this sense. And I'd like your thoughts on this as well. That you know, in all this talk, I, as an Oregon fan, have felt that whatever the next step is going to be, whether one day it's the Big Ten or maybe it's an ACC merger—I've talked about that a little recently. I think there's uh, some intrigue there. I'm sure Oregon fans would love to play Mario Cristobal uh, once, once every couple of years or so. I'm—I I know we'd be down with, uh, with with all of that, but or it's the Big Twelve, or even if it's staying. Foot in, uh, or staying pat in the Pac 12. To me, it feels like Oregon has put themselves in a position as a program where their brand is going to be strong enough across whatever conference they end up in to where they're going to be able to continue to recruit at a high level as they have been, and then also you know, be able to win at, at a pretty high level and, and just compete and stay relevant the way they have been for you know, most of my life. And my dad, who went to Oregon, has... Uh, done well to remind me of the fact that that was not always the case for Oregon football and that when he was there in college four wins was like a pretty good season nowadays we have four wins we fire a coach who we just gave an extension to so I feel like no matter what Oregon is going to be able to find a way to succeed in every facet of their football program do you have that sense
1: The NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to locked on college basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait, find locked on college basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
0: Yeah, I think that Oregon has of course uh, this success, this run of success, Of success that you've alluded to has has kind of come incrementally. Mike Bellotti had a tremendous program, but it wasn't elite program. Mm -hmm. Rich Brooks uh, going to the Rose Bowl back in the '90s against Penn State, and then Chip Kelly obviously accelerated it. You know, I don't know that because of what happened in the NFL and what happened uh, for the first few seasons at UCLA, that the chapter's not closed, of course that he doesn't get the credit and people have forgotten how dominant Oregon was. You know, they came within a last second field goal of winning the national championship or Dyer was
2: down. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I have, to, yeah. yeah, every time that comes up, every Oregon fan's got to say that that's, that's, that's just happened. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: No, it's, 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 a you know, I, I, I would expect no less. Yes. You should chime in with that one. And, and um, you know, I still spit out the numbers because I repeat them all the time when I get in these conversations. Thirty-three and three, in four seasons in the conference, and forty-six and seven. That was Chip Kelly's record. They were dominant, dominant, and now they're they're back to being a top ten to fifteen program.
2: Yeah, very good. Fans.
0: And then the Phil Knight component can't even be measured. We can measure it by dollars, I guess, but in in regards to Oregon has carved out this unique brand um, that people recognize if they pay any attention to college football that, Oh yeah. Even when everybody now has these alternate uniforms and, and all this going on, it's still Oregon's the one that everyone remembers being the originator.
2: Cause they're, cause they were first. They yeah. were first with it. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that whatever conference Oregon is in, people know what they are and they'll be able to compete. And I think that's true for some other schools as well. Like I think you put Utah in any of these conferences with the way Kyle Whittingham has been running that program, they're going to succeed. But other PAC schools right now, and we'll just call it the PAC because 10, 12, who knows the other PAC schools that are there Stanford, if they're not able to to turn around this season, I think they might. But if they aren't, that could be a program that starts trending down because they have trouble adding in the transfer portal because of their, their standards. Cal hasn't had a rich tradition of winning since Jeff Tedford was there. Really, it's been it's been quite a struggle for them. Oregon State and Washington State, if you put them in a bigger conference with more good teams, I think it becomes harder for them to win. I think Washington can go either way. Because they're the last Pac-12 team to get to the college football playoff, but they're also the last Pac-12 team to have, uh, if 12-0 is undefeated, then I guess you call it a defeated season, right? I mean, like, they have hit some really, really low points as a program, and so if you put them in, in a stronger, deeper conference... Remains to be seen with, with, with Calen DeBoer whether or not that's something that's going to easily translate to winning whereas like with Utah I think it's there the Arizona schools I think they'd be in the same spot basically which is like occasionally they could win eight or nine games or maybe have a year like Arizona did where they get to the Fiesta Bowl but on the whole they're just kind of you know middling and uh, under underwhelming a friend of mine went to ASU. I went down to visit him in the state of Arizona and I'd never been to the campus before. So we were walking around and he was just uh, semi disgusted at, you know, where the program has gone in terms of recruiting. He's just walking around going like, look at this place. How can you not recruit here? <laughs> like, 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 what, what, what am I, what am I missing? And I was like, yeah, you, you got a good point. Why can't you, why can't you recruit a little better there? Plus Arizona's got a lot of players there. Um, but I feel like Oregon w- would be all right. L- last thing I want to ask you about real quick here. Uh, is not on the realignment front with uh, with Mark Rogers, the voice of college football on uh, YouTube and at Mark Rogers TV is the Twitter handle. We still have a Pac-12 right now for for 2022. I know this is very hard to remember sometimes, but there are going to be 12 teams playing the Pacific Coast Conference this year and next year as well. I know shocking news. And I think it's important to just point that out every now and then. But overall, your expectations for Oregon this year, Dan Lanning, a new coach. Bo Nix, probably going to be a new quarterback. You've got a lot of the roster returning, but all this stuff is a little bit more futuristic in terms of the discussion for the Oregon football program compared to what is about to happen in just a few weeks. We're less than 50 days away from college football, and Oregon has a chance to win a conference championship. What do you expect from them
0: going into this year? Well, Spencer, I've got to be careful because I've got like 25 team channels and we do 10 team specific live streams. And sometimes the, the contributors I have that are professionals, but at the same time, they're fans of those teams. They talking to them on a regular basis kind of impacts me. And I got to guard against that <laughs> uh, because I've been lured into thinking, oh, Nebraska is going to be really good this year. I yeah, know. Uh, okay. um, Heard that one before. <laughs> yes. Dan Lanning, and I, I bring that up because I still remember watching Dan Lanning's introductory news conference. And and I'm not the guy that for regardless of what I'm doing and, and should be doing this more often, watching introductory news conferences. But I watched Dan Lanning's, I got I got pulled in on him, and I thought it was uh, exhilarating, intriguing. I thought he really sold himself and the program in a genuine way. Um, and, and obviously, the, the optimism just exudes from any new coach when they take the podium for the first time, but it was just different. I, I have a lot of uh, optimism for the Oregon program under Dan Lanning. I think that um, I think it's been impressive that he has not uh, given up on the relationships and the roots that he's uh, established in the southeast in regards to recruiting. He's still going to go after exceptional players down there that he's scouted, recruited, built relationships with, and not been like, oh, well, we can't bring that caliber of player and, uh, out of the Southeast and bring them to Oregon. He's gone for it and, and been successful. And so I don't know that this season is going to be any kind of banner season. It's typically difficult to, to win big, but considering the conference schedule and um, – and the talent on the roster, which I would say before the off season, I would have called it the best roster in the conference with what USC's done. I would now say it's probably the second best, com- uh, you know, Utah is obviously a factor in the way they develop players. You can't even go with the recruiting rankings on Utah. They develop so well, yep. but um, Bo Nix, uh, as, you, as you mentioned to me before we started and, Um, didn't need to enlighten me on this because you said things that I was like, yeah, this is what I've been talking about with Bo Nix and been hearing about Bo Nix from Auburn fans and just college football fans since he started. Like this guy is one of the most recognizable names in college football. Like you don't have to be a big college football fan to know who Bo Nix is. And, uh, but yeah, there's, there's like this good Bo, bad Bo, uh, Kind of dichotomy, and it started from his first game. Well, Oregon fans are very, uh, <laughs> very familiar with Bo Nix's first game. He played like garbage. Oh, until the last forty seconds of the game, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, he pulls off a couple amazing plays and and uh, pulls it out. I think he's a very talented guy. You're you're going to pull your hair out a little bit if he's allowed to be who he is. Uh and I think he's reined it in a little bit. And to his defense, he's had a different offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach over. Yeah, it's November. been
2: a it's been a revolving door, and that's yeah. a tough thing to deal with.
0: Yeah. And so he's not been very disciplined, at least early in his career. But I think, you know, if you look at Auburn's season last year, they were a pretty good football team until he got hurt and then they just fell off the tracks. I I don't think he's an elite quarterback, but I think he's going to be exciting. And I think if he can find that, and I think he has at times, and I watch quite a bit of SEC uh, football and Auburn football, that he has been able to take coaching and apply it and find, generally find a good balance of being playmaker, but not crazy, throw it up for grabs, run like a crazy man in the backfield, doing circles back and forth across the field. Um, so I think he's an upgrade. I do think he's an upgrade from what you had last season.
2: Oregon fans certainly hoping that that's the case, and we'll be hoping to have you back on the show sometime in the future. Mark Rogers, the voice of college football on YouTube, at Mark Rogers TV on Twitter. Great to meet you and great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Spencer, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. I appreciate everybody listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.
1: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.